Well, we are looking into some of the great prayers of the Bible. And today we're looking at the prayer of Hannah from 1 Samuel. And actually we get a bonus prayer today. Because in the story, Hannah prays twice. One prayer we're given, one prayer we're not given. We're going to talk about both of those prayers. But before we get into prayers, let's, let's talk about uh, the story. Let's put the prayer in the story and let's put the story in its time and in its place. Now, this is right at the beginning of 1 Samuel, which means right after the time of the judges. Now, in the time period of the judges, Israel has the promised land. They've won the promised land. The problem is that they haven't done a great job of kicking everybody else out. And they don't always follow the way of the Lord. So there's this cycle that happens in Judges. Where everyone, the text says, does right in their own eyes. And they just start doing whatever they want. And then God gets upset with that. And to bring Israel back in line, he uses another people. So one of the people that's sort of around Israel. Okay, one of the neighbors. And the neighbors sort of come in and start pushing Israel around. And then eventually they repent. They cry out to God. And God brings them a, uh, a judge, sort of a hero to rescue them and then to sort of rule over them and bring them in line. And you know some of these judges. What are, who are some of the judges? What judges do you remember? Samson. Samson. Everybody gets Samson first. Gideon. Anybody remember the story of Gideon? Uh, there was a, a woman judge named uh, Deborah. So there's all these really kind of interesting, wild characters in judges. But what happens is the judge comes... They do this to, to rescue Israel, and then afterwards, Israel basically goes back to doing the exact same thing they were doing before. Okay? They would do whatever was right in their own eyes, and this whole cycle would start again. That's why we have so many judges. It just keeps happening and happening and happening. Basically, it's not working. Okay? We just keep, we're in like the same cycle, and it's kind of some cool stories, kind of some cool characters, but it's, it's not working. It's not going anywhere. And so now we're coming to the end of the time of the judges. We've proven that the judges don't work. So the question is, what's next? We open the book with this story of this woman named Hannah. Her name means grace. So Hannah um, has, uh, has the name grace, but doesn't actually feel in her own life like God has been really true to that name. Like God has been really graceful to her. She doesn't have any children. And in those days you needed to have children to carry on your line. And her husband actually has taken another wife. Okay. Called Panina. And this is actually very common. It sounds really weird to us today. But in those days men sometimes had multiple wives. It normally didn't turn out well by the way. Um, as you can imagine. The Bible never says not to do it. But every time somebody does it, it's bad. Okay? So, Penina, maybe Hannah's husband marries Penina because she can't have kids. And he needs to have a kid to carry on the family line and take care of the property and that kind of thing. And so he uh, marries Penina. The thing is, Penina does have kids. Okay? And uh, so then there's sort of this rift that happens between these two Wives, as you can imagine, might happen. Okay? But in this case, uh, Penina, Penina would tease Hannah, provoke her. Text says it would irritate her. And the word literally means thunder against her. 
So the idea is she would just all the time be jabbing it. Hey, Hannah, look at my kid. You know what I mean? Hannah, I look like I'm the good wife, huh? You could imagine day by day by day. The text says that Hannah would just weep because of her loss, because of her grief. She wouldn't eat. She's in a serious, serious state of depression. So she goes to this place called Shiloh. Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. And remember, okay, we don't get a temple until Solomon. We don't get Jerusalem until King David. So at this point, the temple that had been carried around in the wilderness is at this place called Shiloh. So that's where people would go to worship. She goes to Shiloh and ends up after a service, just sort of despairing, weeping near the tabernacle. She's whispering to herself when she's praying. And, and that's actually pretty bold, right? To, to pray on your own. I mean, in those days, you prayed through the priest. You prayed through the, the, um, the liturgy. You did pray by yourself. But here she is. She's weeping. She's praying. And um, sort of whispering to herself. And she's promising God, if, God, if only you would give me a child, I will give you back my child. I will give you my child. Dedicate my child to you. For his entire life. Now Eli, who is the high priest at the time, sees Hannah praying this prayer. And let me read the exchange because it's really kind of funny. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Okay, so he sees this woman like shaking, crying, whispering to herself. And she's like, he's like, come on, you're going to drink by the tabernacle? He thinks she's drunk. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition. That you made for, for to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So this is a prayer. We don't get the words exactly to the prayer. We know a promise was made, but, but there's a lot of prayer going on here. And it's intense. She's weeping. She's shaking. I mean, you can imagine, right? The, she's shaking. She's upset. She hasn't eaten very much. She looks disheveled. And Eli comes in, and what does he think? She's drunk. Like, she's so disheveled, so upset. She's pouring out her soul. She says it's coming out of her anxiety and her vexation. And we don't have the words to her prayer, but how many of us can identify with this kind of prayer? Okay, have you ever wept like this? In fact, in a room this size, there, there's at least somebody in this room has wept for the same reason that Hannah has. They weren't able to have the children that they wanted. People in here have wept because they lost their children. People have whispered to God in anxiety and vexation over all kinds of stuff. We've had these moments, haven't we, where we pray like this. Where if somebody walked in, we'd be nervous what they thought of us in this moment of prayer and desperation. And we don't get to know Hannah's words for this prayer, but we know her prayer is answered. In the immediate, Eli gives her a blessing. 
Right? Eli gives her a blessing. And, and what's amazing about it is that actually the blessing of Eli is enough for Hannah to calm down. It says she stopped weeping so much. She ate. The blessing of another person was enough to sort of get her through at this moment. And then in the long run, God remembers the prayers of Hannah. She does get pregnant. And she has a son. And the text says that sometime after she had weaned the child, which normally in those days, maybe three, maybe a little bit after that, so maybe about four, um, she goes and takes the child back to Shiloh, to the tabernacle, to do just as she promised, to give him over to the Lord. And so she sees Eli and she says, hey, remember me? Like you, you remember me? I was that woman crying. And they, she said, look, look what God has done for me. And actually she gives her son over to Eli to be raised for the priesthood. Now, we didn't have Hannah's first prayer, but in 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we do get a prayer of Hannah when she gives the child over to Eli. So let me, let me read this prayer. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren bore seven children. But she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in the darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't know about you, this is not what my prayers sound like. Anybody else? This is really not what my prayers sound like. In fact, it's odd if you think about it that this prayer has very little to do with the actual situation going on with Hannah and the child. I mean, there's definitely some connections, right? About, uh, about the baron having born seven children, but she didn't have seven children. She had one children. <laughs> one child, right? Not seven children. Um, you know... Maybe there's some stuff in here about being proud no more. Maybe she's talking to her fellow wife, right, who's gone at her. But, but really, most of the prayer doesn't seem to have that much do, to do with her prayer. And if you follow along your Bible, you would have noticed that this is actually indented differently. So in the Bible, narrative is written like paragraph. It just kind of keeps running on. But when we get to what's called prose, 
which could mean poetry, which could be song, could be liturgy. When you get to prose, it's actually indented like a poem. You remember in that elementary school you had poems and they were indented differently? Okay, so this is actually indented differently. This isn't just a prayer. This is like a song. It's like a poem. So what is this doing? Now, there's been a lot of debate about this, and we're not quite sure. We, we can't be quite sure. Some people have said, well, this is in the Bible, so this is what Hannah prayed. She was just inspired to write this great form of poetry, and somebody else was inspired to write it down word for word. I don't know. Some other people have said, well, people have, this is a later insert. That maybe there's this psalm, this liturgy that somebody put on the words of Hannah, or wrote later based on what Hannah's original words were. But I also wonder if it's possible that this was actually a psalm or a song in Hannah's day that she sang or that she said for herself. Right? Like this amazing proclamation, like something great happened to you and you bust into amazing grace. And I wonder if she saw herself in this song. Whatever you want to do with that, there are some really neat connections between her story and what's going on. This jubilant praise and excitement and thanksgiving on the victory of God. And it actually does make a lot of sense, however it got here, to connect this prayer with Hannah. The prayer has three parts, a beginning, a middle, and then a conclusion. The beginning sets up the prayer. My heart exalts in the Lord. Okay, My heart is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. I rejoice in you. So, so the tone of the prayer is set high. I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm praising God. Here we go. The middle goes into praising God for more specific work. Now again, it's not actually specific to Hannah per se. But there's a definite theme going on in the prayer. The theme of turning over, of upending, of a great reversal. Bows of the mighty are broken, the feeble find strength. The full are, the, those who have a lot of food are now working for food, and the hungry are full. The barren have seven children, the one who has many children is alone. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down, he raises up. The poor are made rich and the low are exalted. The poor is raised up from the dust and the needy ones come in an ash heap. Everybody see the theme, right? A reversal. A turning over of fates. It was this way and now it is whoop, flipped upside down. And Hannah, praying this prayer, maybe if it was a liturgy before her, said, hey, that is what happened to me. The fates of my life were flipped over. The conclusion of the prayer then goes to a promise or a statement of underlying truth in the psalm that God will, God will guard the feet of his righteousness, of his, of his faithful. The wicked will be cut off. Those who are adversaries to God will be broken into pieces and the Lord will judge. And then it ends with this great line that we'll come back to. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So Hannah Praise this prayer, dedicating her child to the priesthood. And do you know who this child is? Anybody know who this child is? What book of the Bible are we talking? First Samuel. Okay, this is Samuel, everybody. This is Samuel. This is the birth of Samuel. This is a huge turning point in the story. He's got one and two books named after him. First and second Samuel. 
Samuel was this huge hinge in the Bible. Because the text says that actually Samuel, when he grows up, judges Israel for a time. So Samuel was really the last judge. Then the people complained to Samuel. Samuel was also kind of a prophet. And so Samuel does what the people want, even though Samuel suggests that it's not a good idea. And he anoints for them a what? A king. Okay, this is the start of the kings, everybody. This is this huge turning. And Samuel will be the last judge, and then he will anoint two kings. He's going to get to anoint King Saul, and then the second king, while Saul is still alive, King David. Okay, so, so this prayer of this little, this insignificant barren woman who prays this little prayer that the priest thinks he's, she's drunk, and she has a child, and then she prays this mighty prayer, Talking about this upheaval and turning over of the world. And actually, that's exactly what's going to happen through her son. This huge overturning, this changing. No judges anymore, no kings. And if you follow the story through then, well, King David becomes an archetype of the perfect king. But all the other kings don't ever quite live up to David. David doesn't even live up to David, if you remember the story correctly. But the promise is that there's going to be an anointed king. Remember, she talks about an anointed king. There's going to be an anointed king that's going to come that's going to be even better than all these other kings. And that's who? Jesus, right? So, So Hannah, in her prayer for her child, is not just in this overturning between judges and kings, but she is setting this major swing that's going to end up with Jesus. And it is fascinating that if you follow the story through again, what you find is that Jesus comes from a pretty special pregnancy too, doesn't he? An even more unlikely prayer, uh, prayer, uh, uh, pregnancy. And if you follow that story through, you find that Mary prays a prayer. And it's called what? Anybody remember the name of the prayer? The Magnificat. Okay, we as Protestants tend to skip over a lot about Mary. We tend to skip over this prayer. But it's a pretty amazing prayer that Mary does. And it's kind of like this prayer of Hannah. That it's, it's very liturgical. Has all kinds of themes that really are way beyond Jesus. And, and like picking up on all this stuff that's sort of happening. We call it the Magnificat because it starts, my soul magnifies. The word is Magnificat. In Greek, it's the first word. It's actually not that original of a title. It's just the first word of the prayer. Let me read a few lines from the Magnificat that Mary prays. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. You see, Mary has this prayer of exuberant praise and it is obviously... Inspired by Hannah's prayer. I mean, there's some distinct quotes here where she is definitely alluding to Hannah's prayer. Why? Because because Mary is in the middle of a great turning, a great upheaval, a great reversal. And won't that be a big theme for Jesus? Reversal? How many of you can think of reversal words that Jesus uses? Remember, the last will be first, the first will be last. The least will be the greatest. Take the lower seat. Jesus introduces a kingdom that's upturned. It doesn't work like the economy. It doesn't work like the kingdom of the world. And yet that was set up 
Not just in Mary's prayer, but way back in Hannah's prayer. We can learn a lot from this prayer. We need to learn to pray prayers of gratitude, of thanksgiving. We need to realize that God's work on our own life isn't just in our own life. But if God's answering my prayers, if God's with me on something in particular, God is also answering prayers in this much larger story. How much of your prayer is thanksgiving and gratitude and praise? Most of the time, our prayer is a lot. I want, I need, I want, I need. If we're really a little bit selfless, they want, they need, they want, they need. But how much of our prayer is really praise, gratitude, thankfulness? And I love how Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann talks about this prayer. He, ta- he says, songs of praise provide buoyancy and keep the world open. I love that idea of buoyancy. You know what I mean when I say buoyancy? Right? That you can float. That when you think you're sinking, when the world is getting you down, when you're drowning like Hannah in your anxiety and in your vexation, that prayers of praise like this can help you float can give you buoyancy, can give you a hope. So pray for reversal. Pray for upheaval. Pray for a turnover. And my challenge for you this week, here's your homework. I want you to pray this week. You should be praying anyway. But specifically this week, pray a few times a day. And I want your prayers to be mainly praise. Okay, 75% of your prayers. So your prayer time. Praise thankfulness. And if you need to pray for something, try this. With a little more buoyancy in your prayer? Pray as if it's already happened. Like actually, if you need to pray for something, pray, uh, pray as if it's already happened. Like thank God that he's going to answer. Lord, I thank you that you already know that so-and-so is sick. Right? Lord, I thank you that you already know that my bills are in trouble here or that you know, something's going on at work. You already know and I thank you that you're going to answer. I'm just, Lord, give me the patience to see your answers. Do you understand how much buoyancy that would give you? Pray for bad things in positive ways. Gives you a sense of buoyancy. Hopeful prayers. Just take a look at your prayer life. See if your prayer looks a little bit like Hannah. Now there are some times when, like Hannah, you look a little drunk when you pray. And you're weeping and you're sorrowful. But, but the buoyancy of life, you have those prayers. And that's okay. You need to be able to give those prayers to God. But on the other hand, buoyancy in your prayer life, buoyancy in your faith comes from prayers of gratitude and praise. And if you have trouble being grateful for stuff, write it down. Try writing down all the stuff you should be thankful for, should be praising God for. Give me another moment of buoyancy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.